Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. On last week's episode, we talked about leveraging your strengths as a person with ADHD. And I kind of wanted to back that up a little bit, Cam, because I think in order to leverage our strengths, one of the first things we have to do is we sort of have to get out of black and white thinking. It's sort of back to the reframing at the lunch counter. With strengths, there are challenges. And until we can start to see a more complete picture of who we are in this world, it's really hard to access strengths in a meaningful way. You agree so, with that? Yeah, I do. And it's so funny. I'm as you're talking, it it might be, it may be, it probably is very frustrating for our listeners <laughs> how we will jump in and then we get in and it's like, well, wait a sec. There's more here, right? There's more here to look at. We back out and come back. But there is a method to this madness, listener. Know this, that as we're going in and looking at strengths, we realize, hey, if it was easy to get to strengths, everyone would be operating in their strengths. Absolutely. Yeah, and as Shelly and I are talking last week, we're like, yeah, things pop for us and realize, hey, here's this thing that we've got to address because it's not so easy to get into strengths. So no, I just wanted not. to, I just, I had to comment that of like how our own process here at work. Absolutely. So at the end of last week's episode, after we stopped recording, I told you that this made me think of a recent client and sort of how she came to coaching. So she's out of school now and she's into her career. But one of the first things she told me about was when she was still in grad school and she felt like she was doing a good job of passing as neurotypical. Mm. And I feel like we have so many examples of this. I certainly know when I was working as a professional organizer, even after I realized I had undiagnosed ADHD and before I realized I had undiagnosed ADHD. That's who I was showing up as, trying to pass as neurotypical. But I'd never heard it phrased that way. I love that phrasing. And she thought she was doing a good job of it until one day she was a little late to a study group and a fellow student just dressed her down over her consistent lateness and some other challenges that she has related to ADHD. And she said it was like the fantasy bubble popped in that moment. That's such strong language. Like all of the sudden it's like, hmm. So showing up as neurotypical, trying to quote unquote pass as neurotypical, that's not working for me. So fast forward a couple of years, she's into a career. She's done a lot of reading around ADHD, but she's still not seeing how to show up as a neurodivergent. And that's where she was when she came to coaching. Right. And access her strengths. Yeah. Because we made this point last week. It's really hard to manage and be successful with ADHD with that dominant hand Tied behind your back. Absolutely. So we wanted to dig in here about, you know, 
the process, a process for getting, realizing, identifying, and, and owning those strengths. One of the reasons I wanted to share this story is this is the point in which a lot of our clients show up. They're either newly diagnosed and trying to figure out what that means for them, or they're running into challenges at work or at home to a level that they haven't experienced so far. So sort of passing and muddling through has been working and now it's not. And one of the first big things we have to do with clients is take a step back and recognize that we're not neurotypical. And we will never function in the world as a neurotypical does. And if we keep trying to function in the world as a neurotypical does, we're going to keep running into that wall. We might have some fantasy bubble moments where things seem like they're going okay, but there's always going to be that crash and that why can't I do what others do? Why can't I operate the way others operate? So I think one of the first big things we have to do is recognize that we don't operate that way, and that's okay. So can we give her a name, number one? So we have a, a character here. Number two, I'd love to hear about the fantasy. What was her specific fantasy that she created? Because story is so powerful. We create a story to identify who we are and what matters. Sometimes that story works for us. Sometimes it doesn't. And so when the story doesn't work, it is this uh, one that, that can't work and is a fantasy, not possible. But what was the fantasy that she was so compelling for her, Shelly? So let's call her Sally, since you want to give her a name. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> so for Sally, it was, I'm showing up things are getting done. Everything's fine. Everything's great. In a lot of ways, it was that black and white thinking. She was in the white of black and white thinking. Everything's all good. I'm making it happen. She wasn't seeing the challenges that other people were seeing. And then when the bubble popped, it was immediately to the opposite side. So now she's in the black side of black and white thinking. Holy cow. I'm not passing at all. I'm a failure. What do I do with that? And at the point she came to coaching, she was out of grad school and she was in a job as a contractor. And she knew that she needed to manage her ADHD. But she was also in a role with a lot of unrealistic expectations. And so with that black and white thinking, she came thinking, this is all me and this is all my unmanaged ADHD and we have to figure all of this out. This is all my stuff to solve. So that's sort of the dilemma of black and white thinking. She's down in black. This is all my stuff. And she was doing that thing that we talked about last week of, well, I'm going to make up for my challenges by taking on more work and saying yes to everything. I can't say no. So she's just in this already unrealistic demands, taking on more and more work. And so our first job was to start to distinguish what's 
ADHD and not even just ADHD, what is your stuff to work on and look at? And what is the stuff that is out of your control here? And then we started to see those shades of gray between that we so often don't see with ADHD. So let's put a placeholder right there because I think it's worth going back a little bit. And last week, how you did such a great job of relaying your different talks about time management, the one that you give to neurotypicals and the one you give to the neurodivergence or those with ADHD. And that distinction between with the neurotypicals, it's a matter of functionality. So passing as neurotypical, this notion of I should do it as everyone else because here they are doing it, they're being successful, I can do that too. And we were talking before the call or the the session today about that old metaphor of a square peg in a round hole. And with that black and white thinking, among other things, up on the slopes of Rainier, that causation of black and white thinking, time estimation, the shorter time horizon that you spoke about last week too, we don't see that the hole is round. Sally didn't see part of her fantasy. Now, if she saw that the hole was actually round and she was square, she would have stopped right there. But that's the interesting piece of when you have that black and white thinking and you just, it's like, okay, I'm just going to fit into this hole. The reason why she doesn't see the squareness of herself is because she's not looking at herself. She's just looking at the hole. It's like, okay, I'm going to do as others. Yeah. And that's part of the fantasy is they're stopping to look at, wait a second. That's why that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And expecting different results is the rest of the Thank you very much. You're welcome. I got you. (laughs) I'm so so excited about the the squareness and not, not seeing our squareness or If squareness doesn't work for you, octagonal, it doesn't matter. It's just that we don't line up with that roundness. And yet we're expecting that we do. And it's like, wait a sec, that with the coaching starting to distinguish, it's looking at the roundness in the sense of what are the expectations of the role? What is my world that I'm trying to be successful in? And then also at the same time, looking at the actual object, we're trying to fit into it. And that's what we're getting into with as she came to coaching and realizing, wait a second, I'm not able to fit into my world effectively. And I'm not being successful. And I need some support and resources here. Yeah. And when you start in that place where you're trying to ram the square or octagonal peg into the round hole, The other thing that does is it puts you in this place where you can't see strength. Again, our first work was to start to distinguish what is even her stuff to work on. But it wasn't just distinguishing that. It was also distinguishing what she is good at, why she chose the field she's in, what she's passionate about. And when we're in the fantasy bubble and we're just ramming that square peg into that round hole or trying to, 
we can't connect to that at all because we're constantly coming from a place of challenge. We're coming from a place of inadequacy and I have to make up for being different. And effort. We see that back to my distinction around completion and engagement. I thought as long as I was engaged, it would work. When I wasn't making any money and I was engaging, but I wasn't completing. It was just that, oh, I'm applying a force, I'm applying pressure, and it's going to give. My fantasy was something's going to give eventually here. Yeah, that was kind of your fantasy bubble pop when your wife came to you and said, hey, there's no money in the bank account, Cam. What's up with that? (laughs) And we all have those moments where it's like, oh, but often in those moments, I know this was true for me, we go right to black. In my moment, I went straight to black. In my moment of being at a professional organizers conference and realizing I had undiagnosed ADHD, I went straight to crap. Now I have to figure out how to pass for a professional organizer as a person with undiagnosed ADHD. Or we take this crazy scenic route, right, of all these kind of coping behaviors that are not so healthy. You were talking about Sally with what she did. And I think what I used to do, too, is when I was not doing my key parts as a teacher of getting my reports in on time, getting stuff back to the kids on time, managing my own stuff, what did I do? I'd sign up for extracurriculars. I'd volunteer for a committee and say yes to a lot of different things, spread myself out. So kind of making up for those shortcomings, as you said. But what does it do? It exacerbates the situation. Now I've got even more on my plate and not getting any closer to getting to my strengths. I'm moving farther and farther away from really tapping into strengths. Yeah, and then you start living in this place of... They're going to find me out. Yeah. One, one day, they're going to figure out, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. And I think you talked about that in the episode where you first talked about when you were in teaching. Well, it was an interesting story, right? It was a compelling story that kept me, it, it in a funny way, kept me at my job. It kept me vigilant but it didn't get me closer to a solution. So let's go back to Sally, because I think that the listeners like probably like nodding their heads of like, wow, okay, you know, they pegged me there with the fantasy bubble. Now what? What did Sally do? What did you do with Sally? You got to that place of distinguishing her ADHD with also her environment and that the environment wasn't necessarily conducive either, was it? No, not at all. She was very underpaid. This was a nonprofit organization where there was a promise of growth when she joined. And it turned out that that promise wasn't really in line with reality, but she felt this ownership to it. So she was in this sort of awkward place of, I believe in this. And I feel like I'm part of it 
and I feel like I own it, even though it wasn't her thing to own. So we did a lot of work around parsing out her stuff, work stuff, and her strengths and what she wanted out of her career. Because there was a lot in this role, or at least what she thought might be in this role that spoke to her bigger picture, her big agenda, what she likes about what she does. So we had to parse out all of those different things. And what ended up happening is she left that role and she's doing something else. And not just that, but she really, we've come back to it several times and we keep finding more to learn from. So she's made a pivot and she's taken away all of this great learning of this is what was me and my ADHD and this is what I want to work on in my new role and what I want to grow and learn how to work from strength. But this stuff over here is stuff I need to be looking out for before I take on a new role. I need to be looking for a role where I can work to my strengths, where I can understand the structure and what's expected of me so that I'm not just saying yes to everything so that I feel like I'm doing enough. So when she started looking for a new role, she had all this great information to sort of interview the interviewer as she was being interviewed, looking for a good fit, looking for a square hole for her square peg. What were some of the strengths that she came to realize, uh, recognize, and, and honor, Shelly? So she's a really adept problem solver. She's in a pretty linear field or what one would consider linear. And I'm not being super specific because it's kind of a niche field. Sure. But that ability to zoom out and sort of see the bigger context. And that was part of her challenge in the role she was in is she could see what needed to be changed in order for this organization to be successful, but she was not empowered to make those changes. She's really good at meeting obligations when she understands them. You know, I think those of us with ADHD tend to think we're bad at meeting obligations. I don't necessarily think it's that. With a lot of my clients, I think when we don't really understand what's the scope, what's my role, what am I supposed to do, we tend to do too much or too little. We go into black or white. We do everything or we do nothing because we're not sure what to do. And we're not sure if we're showing up well enough. She's really passionate about educating in her field. So she had the opportunity to mentor some people while she was there. And she enjoyed that role. And interestingly enough, she thought that project management or management in general, stepping away from this role, was not something she was interested in. But as we started to unpack this experience on the other side of it, she realized that there was a lot to like there and a lot that she was good at there that she couldn't see because she didn't have the tools to be successful in the role she was in. That's fantastic. And it reminds me also of uh, what we talked about a couple weeks ago around transitioning. We made that distinction between a planner and a doer. 
I think that we are often drawn to causes. That's again, wired for context and wanting to have a bigger impact. Drawn to a cause and often those causes are not well-funded or well-resourced. And so it's doing more with less. So you get in those situations, not listener, it's not that you don't get drawn into that, but as you go in, do as Shelley's client Sally did, which is to speak from the, the perspective of strength and distinguishing roles and expectations. That we can get into that doing mode when we get so much on our plate and uh, so many expectations of deliverables. We start to do, 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 and we're being active, but guess what we're not doing? We're not communicating. We will often kind of get into this mode of engagement where we're, it's all about the activity and we completely forget about the significance of communication. And if you're part of a team, if you're part of an organization, that's one of those expectations that often is unwritten is letting people know what's going on, giving a heads up. And that's a transition that is often not easy to do, to step back and communicate whether you're being successful or, and especially when you're not being successful, hey, I'm having an issue here and I need to let someone know. I just wanted to bring that element in that can exacerbate the situation. Absolutely. And in Sally's case, unfortunately, in the position she was in, there were other reasons why she didn't want to communicate because of who was on the other end of those communications and what types of responses she would receive. Sort of unrealistic demands, some manipulative behavior, some not really hearing what she's saying or listening to what she's saying. So her attempts to set boundaries did not go well and oftentimes were met with even more demands. But it's interesting that you say that because that's a big part of what she's doing now in her new role. She went in to the interview with open communication and this is who I am and these are my strengths and this is what I need to be successful. And She's getting better at communicating. A couple of sessions ago, she was telling me how she felt like she was falling a little behind. She really wasn't. She was sort of wrapping up her previous role while engaging with this new role. And there was an amount of hours that they were hoping that she would dedicate to this new project. And she wasn't quite there yet. And she was really feeling kind of bad about that. But when we started to talk about it, and really break it down, she had communicated quite clearly with the leader of this project where she was at and the fact that she was working up to this number of hours as she was wrapping up these other things. And so she was sort of putting an expectation on herself that wasn't even there because she had communicated and everything was fine. The person on the other end knew that she couldn't give that number of hours yet, but that she was working up to it And she was communicating exactly where she was on her pieces of the project with the time she did have. And when we took a step back and broke that down, it was like, oh, I'm okay. There's not even anything here to talk about because it's okay. 
So that whole notion of what you just said in the sense of being able to say, this is what I need to be successful. That is such a powerful and informed statement. That is Sally who is aware of her squareness. She's aware of the dimensions of her cube, whatever they are, right? The peg that we're putting in the hole. But to come from that place of, okay, identifying the needs and then requesting those needs in order to be successful. She has a sense of self and her strengths. She has a sense of a positive outcome. And this idea we talk about resourcefulness and resilience, that ability to identify, I need this in order for me and us to be successful. That's really coming into identifying those strengths, right? Untying that dominant hand that's been behind her back the whole time and to articulate. This is again comes back to this whole notion of understanding, owning, and there. Right there is translation. That is just a wonderful example of translating ADHD. Effectively ask for what you need and know what that is. So that's yeah, awesome. We- we can only really do that from a place of strength because when we're in the black of black and white thinking, it's all about who will take me as I am with all of my problems and my issues. Just anybody take me, please. <laughs> but we can start or, to recognize. Oh, go ahead. Or what? Well, the whiteness of kind of denial, like, like it's all good. I'm yeah. all good, right? It's like, what's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Right. I'm living in the fantasy bubble. I'll make it work. That's right. Right. But it really is. Shades of gray. Our clients often think that asking for what they need is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of I'm different and therefore I'm broken, but it's a sign of strength. It's a sign of I know who I am. I know what my strengths are. I know that my brain works differently. And so I know that I need this in order to be successful but I can be successful. So what you said before about distinguishing our stuff and the stuff that's beyond our control, this is another lunch counter opportunity. That's not an effect. It plays out an effect, but there is causation there. If you look up at the lunch counter, making distinctions is uniquely, and, and the challenge is around making distinctions is uniquely ADHD. And so 12-step programs, there's the serenity prayer with the 12-step. And the fourth part of the 12th step is the wisdom to know what I can and cannot control. So you can call it what you want there. This is, I'm I'm pulling that out of the 12-step paradigm for a moment, just to look at that. We really struggle with distinguishing what is within our control and what is outside of our control. And that's part of having this brain that's wired for context. We have all these tethers. It's almost like being in the middle of a spider web, a three-dimensional spider web. All these tethers going out, connecting us to meaning, to opinion, to these compelling stories. 
And as they go out, some of them go out a few feet. Some of them go out to infinitum. I mean, way out. And there's very, it's very difficult to distinguish what's within our control and what's not. So what do we do? We either fold up our tent and avoid, or we try to do it all. We try to go ahead and do absolutely everything, not knowing that's not possible. Back to Sally, and again, it's almost like it's back to that distinction of not knowing that her peg is a different shape than the hole she's trying to put it into. So that context can work for you, it can work against you. And starting to look at those tethers in those three dimensions. And really looking at the ones, you know, what are they connected to? Is it connected to a should? Is it connected to a fantasy? Is it connected to an unrealistic expectation? Is it connected to some story that's connected to old pain or hurt? You said before the call that children with ADHD receive 20,000 more negative messages than neurotypical children. By the age of 12, yeah. By the age of 12. Those are tethers. Those are tethers that we contextualize to, and it creates a meaning for us. So this is the thing that's within our power, is to look at those tethers and start to question. Not suspiciously, but with curiosity. Is this tether working for me? Is there a strength connected to this? If you start to identify these tethers that are not useful, that aren't helping you, that's starting to kind of disconnect that. Well, guess what? We're getting into this area, what we brought up last time with around Brene Brown and courage and vulnerability. It's scary to disconnect these supports that identify who we are. But as you do, you will start to see these other tethers that are positive that are connected to who you are. They're connected to your values. They're connected to your strengths. They're connected to people who will reflect back to you your best attributes. There are people out there who will do that. There are people out there who will not and do the absolute negative or opposite. Yeah. So starting to see these, you know, again, what makes you and choosing, making choice and distinguishing what you can and cannot control is a first, you know, is an early step. This episode really speaks to how and why creating change with ADHD isn't easy because we have the functional stuff that we need to work on, but there's all this other stuff. It's really funny whenever I present to neurotypicals on ADHD issues especially neurotypical populations that work with clients with ADHD. They'll always ask me, they'll bring me a client scenario. I have a client who X, what would you suggest? And my answer is always, I don't know. Here's what I would be curious about. Because we have to address all of that gray between that black and white thinking as part of creating change. Just addressing the functional is never going to get us where we want to be. And I always feel like I'm a bit of a like, I don't know, I feel like it's a bit doom and gloom when I say that because it takes time. 
and effort. But the upside is the rewards are immense. When we can start to see ourselves in strength and not just a ball of challenge, not just a peg that doesn't fit, it's incredible what we can do. So I think that might be a good place to wrap up today. What do you think? Yeah, sure. So if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can leave a rating or review wherever you listen. If you want to reach out with feedback, you can hit up the website, translatingadhd.com or hit us on Twitter at translatingadhd. And until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.